Test one, two, can you hear me? Good afternoon, everyone. Can you hear me? Can't hear, they can't hear me. Knut, they can't hear me. They can't hear me. Good afternoon, everyone. We'd ask you all to uh, settle down now and uh, let's get uh, started. I'll be your moderator this afternoon. My name is Bob Campbell. And we have a pretty full plate after two years of absence of actually meeting face to face. So with that, uh, we have a lot to do today. And of course, there's lots happening. And to begin with, we're going to start. It's been a very eventful day, an eventful week. And we were planning on having just a moment of silence to acknowledge the tragedy that occurred in Saskatchewan these past few days. And then on top of that, we just learned that Queen Elizabeth passed away just a short while ago. So with that, I would just like us to just reflect for a few moments um, to be mindful of where we are here on this land at this time. Um, the, um, we know and acknowledge that we're on the lands of the indigenous people and the Métis nations of this country, and we openly acknowledge that. And at the same time, we acknowledge the passing of our monarch for the past 70 years. So let's just have a moment of silence, please. Okay. We have a lot to cover today. Um, as I said, this has been over two years since we've had an actual face-to-face -face meeting, so I think we need to celebrate that. And also, I'd like to... Yeah, eat it. <laughs> eat it? Yeah. Can you hear me better now? Yeah. yeah. Well, why doesn't that thing stay up? How's that? Hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. That's why the singers stick it right in their mouths, practically, when they sing. All right, so first of all, I'd like the SACPOB board to stand up and everyone give them a hand. They've kept this organization together for the past two years, and now they bring us together face to face. So we acknowledge their hard work over this last, last while. I don't know how many of you have been watching on YouTube, but uh, it's always something to watch, and uh, I'm grateful for that, that they've been able to do that. 
We'd also like to thank our partners, and there's, uh, of course, LSCO. Uh, we thank them. Uh, we thank our broadcasters who are always here to support us. Uh, we also acknowledge the assistance of the University of Lethbridge and so on. We have many uh, community supporters, and we're grateful for all of those. Uh, today's session will be recorded, as you all know, and then it's also available later on on the Shaw Channel and on YouTube. Uh, as I said, we already thank uh, LSCO and uh, the University of Lethbridge. There is a suggestion box back there, and there's also a place for donations. Get that? Hint, hint. And also memberships, if you'd like to take out a membership. Those are all available. Um, our format today will be uh, 25 to 30 minutes of the presentation, which will be followed immediately by a Q&A period for approximately half an hour. And so with that, we will get started. Um, I didn't mention the memberships. Again, I just want to re-emphasize that. We love to get your membership because that's important. And we will now begin. I'd like to introduce our speakers. And I'll do that. I have their carefully scripted bios here. It won't take very long. They're modest people. First of all, I'll introduce the topic. Now, this is not a chicken and egg session, as some of you have uh, struggled with that philosophical question for years. This is about sustainability. Is the time right for Lethbridge to allow urban chickens? There are an increasing number of urban jurisdictions that are allowing egg-laying chickens and hens. Arguably, the reasons are clear. Chickens provide protein, fertilizer, pest control, and are easy to maintain. But the bigger reason for keeping chickens may be for people to get more control of their food supply, just like growing vegetables. The past few years, with the COVID pandemic, we all know that food security has become an increasing issue in our country and elsewhere. And this issue of having urban chickens addresses that issue. Today, our speakers will be Gilles Leclerc and Kelty Baird. Gilles is a founding member and past president of the Lethbridge Sustainable Living Association. He created Applefest, an event that promoted local food sustainability, and was a longtime executive member of the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Lethbridge. He has partnered, has participated in Toastmasters, and is a student of the books Small is Beautiful, Economics as If People Mattered, and Nonviolent Communications, a pattern a pattern language. He is a self-described social entrepreneur with a passion for recreating urban spaces with sustainable content. Kelty, a 2012 graduate of the University of Lethbridge with a bachelor's in history. Her particular focus was on architectural history specializing in settlement architecture in Western Canada. She is a founding co-owner of Theoretically Brewing Company. That's an interesting name with a passion for recreating urban spaces, sorry, uh, read the wrong line there, here in the city as well as an environmental enthusiast. 
Her short time working for Environment Lethbridge, along with the interactions with the Lethbridge Sustainable Living Association and Homestead Show and Market in Fort McLeod, sputtered an interest in urban agriculture and urbanism. In, 19, in September of 2018, she introduced a request to City Council for an urban hen pilot project. And as you know where that went in pursuing a change to bylaw 3383 to allow for the same. So we will begin, Kelty will be first, so we'll introduce Kelty. I am much, much shorter. So sorry about the awkward mic placement, guys. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to just go through a really brief history of urban hens in Lethbridge. Uh, my name's Kel, and if you have any questions, we'll get to those at the end. Um, so back in the early 1800s when Lethbridge was first settled, it was actually quite common to have all kinds of livestock on your personal property. Of course, back then our properties were much larger in scale and fewer residents lived in the city. Um, there's an interesting anecdote from early Lethbridge school, uh, the schoolhouse. They actually put a fence around the schoolhouse yard, not to keep the kids out, or to keep the kids in, but to keep the cows out. So that tells you how integrated urban livestock was to our city centre. Um, from the early 1930s, this is when we get the rise of what are called broiler hens. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but the chicken that you buy in the supermarket to eat, um, that chicken is only about eight to 10 to 12 weeks old um, when it's butchered. So very, very short lifespans for broiler hens. But these weren't inv invented basically or bred until the 1930s. And we didn't see a rise in poultry products until the 1950s in our supermarkets. Um, during this time, when the supermarket kind of, I forgot I have pictures. Look, old hen keeping, not from Lethbridge, just the internet. But, um, so when we saw the rise of supermarkets, we started to see the rise of commercialization of poultry products. So this is a, an industry that happens quite broadly in Southern Alberta. We have a lot of poultry farmers in the area, um, and as subsequently a lot of egg farmers but it's on an industrial scale. If you're curious, the largest purchaser of eggs in uh, Canada is actually McDonald's, which is an interesting fact. Um, so in the 1950s, we saw the rise of the supermarket and poultry products kind of really took off. If you Google 1960s poultry, there's like a picture of chicken in a can and it says whole chicken in a can and that really confused me as a younger person because like what were we doing putting whole chickens in cans but apparently that was a product um, during this time, we started to densify and urbanize our environment. So the cities got more compact. We got closer together with our neighbors and that kind of gave rise to what are called good neighbor bylaws. And the keeping of livestock in Lethbridge was the subject of one of these good, labor, or good neighbor bylaws. So in the 1980s, we get outright bans um, on keeping poultry in the city. Um, 
the the last time our bylaw 3383 was updated was 1987 so it's it's a little overdue for an update in my opinion and this banned the keeping of all livestock including all poultry so ducks and geese as well um, though you are still allowed to keep racing pigeons and there is a racing pigeon society in Lethbridge I found out so that's cool if you're interested in that um, and then we also banned the keeping of bees so all of these things are kind of intrinsically linked with the move from rural lifestyle to urban and suburban lifestyles so what we're seeing now um, since about mid 2015 large jurisdictions around canada and north america are starting to reintroduce the keeping of urban hens into their jurisdictions and they do this for a number of reasons um, Sometimes it's a push from citizens like myself who are interested in raising my own um, backyard protein. Um, sometimes it's a push from other organizations who are like, hey, we need to increase our, our biodiversity in the area. And then sometimes, like in the case of New York City, urban hens never went away to begin with. So what's really interesting is people who think that you can't keep hens in urban environments, every borough in New York City allows the keeping of urban hens in any size coop, as long as it's suitable to the bird. So if you have a little balcony on your apartment in New York, you can keep a chicken. Yeah, just no roosters, because roosters are irritating. So yeah, uh, that kind of leads us to the fall of 2018 with my first request to the city. So when I went to city council, um, I proposed a program based heavily on a very successful program in Red Deer. And these are kind of the stipulations that the program had. First, uh, we asked for a controlled pilot program of not more than 50 to 100 residences. There are 37,000 dwelling units in Lethbridge, just to give you guys numbers, 100 of them is not very many. Um, the program would have a four to five year timeline, a maximum of four hens per household is what we asked for. So you're not seeing, you know, 30, 50 chickens per backyard, you're only seeing four. Um, certification and PID requirement. So I am actually a certified hen keeper in Alberta, even though I've never kept a chicken. Uh, you can do these courses online, they're $25, um, and they take you, it's a four-week course, a couple hours each week, and they take you through everything from pest management and control, disease monitoring, all the way up um, to end-of-life care for your urban hen, because some of these hens actually live anywhere between uh, 8 to 12 years, and will lay for a significant portion of their lifetime. So you're not just getting a chicken and, you know, raising it to 12 weeks and then butchering it you're actually having that hen lay for you um, over the course of many years, which makes them a pet. They're really, really amazing pets. Um, there's also coop registration fees to help uh, cover the cost of any program that came about and coop building requirements and regulations. Uh, the coops would be inspected annually and the registration fees would help cover the cost of that inspection. So that's what we asked for. This is what we got. Uh, the survey, the city decided to do a survey through the Citizen Society Lab at the college. The survey uh, got 882 respondents. They asked three questions. Uh, the questions were, do you support households having urban hens in Lethbridge? 
no mention of restricted numbers or restricted hens or a pilot program or anything like that. Just, are you okay with hens in backyards in Lethbridge? The second question was, are you okay with taxpayer dollars paying for this program? And the third question was, do you intend to have hens yourself? Um, so even though I volunteered my time to the surveyors for um, development of the questions for the survey, we were hoping for a much more robust survey. This is what we got. Um, they did not take me up on that offer. So the city, the survey results basically boiled down to a 60% saying no versus 40% saying yes. This is a very broad numbers. They're, the numbers are actually quite different. But if you break down into the stats of what the data actually says, um, only 17% of respondents in the city said they intended to have chickens. So even if we said free for all, everyone's allowed to have chickens, only 17% of people roughly based on this survey would actually go ahead and have chickens. So we're not about to be overrun with chickens. It's just not going to happen. You can uh, catch all the survey results here. So if you're ever interested, if you don't want to copy down the link, that's totally fine. Google Lethbridge chicken survey, it'll pop right up for you. It's the first link. Um, so yeah, so that's what we asked for. That's what we were aiming for. This is what we've got, and this is why we're stuck. <laughs> so what have we been doing since 2018? Well, in 2019, uh, we got folded under the umbrella of the Lethbridge Sustainable Living Association. This prevented me from having to do all the paperwork of going through and creating an entire another nonprofit society with the government of Alberta. Um, so the Lethbridge Sustainable Living Association has taken on the urban hens movement and we're folded under their umbrella. And so they've been able to provide us with resources to do educational events similar to this um, and going to the farmer's market and having a table set up there and talking to people about what urban hen keeping actually looks like and how it's successful in other jurisdictions. The important part Part of an urban hen program, especially in an urban environment, is to make sure that the program is successful not just for the hen keepers, but for the people who are also neighbors to the hen keepers. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want my neighbors to have hens. I'll never have a hen, but I don't want my neighbors to have hens. It'll be smelly and awful and, and that kind of thing. The fact of the matter is, with a well-designed program, it just all of the negatives are looked after and planned for in advance. So if you're thinking, oh, odor, four hens doesn't make a lot of odor. And a well-kept coop, well-constructed coop, doesn't create a lot of odor. OK, well, what about pests and disease? Well, right now in Lethbridge, we have a number of urban hen keepers who are flying under the radar, so to speak. Um, we don't know where they're located. We have no idea how many birds they have. And we have no way of tracking an outbreak if it happens. So people who are concerned with avian flu, of course that's a concern. But if we don't have an urban hen program and can track where these birds are and people are doing it anyway, it causes a lot more problems than if we had a reliable program to begin with. So that's one of the, the reasons to have a program is actually like disease control and pest management. Also on pests, um, Gilles will get into this a little bit more, but chickens, hens are little dinosaurs and they eat absolutely everything. So if you're worried about mice being attracted to the coop, um, hens will eat mice. Yeah, I've seen it. 
It's really gross. Um, but they will just down the hatch with one of those guys. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what we've been looking for. In terms of predators, um, coop construction has to be made predator-proof, and there are ways to ensure that, that kind of construction happens. Again, these programs are not about the success of keeping chickens. It's about the community cohesion around the sustainable food development. So that ends my piece. Gilles is going to get into a lot more detail. Um, so please welcome Gilles. Thanks very much, Kelty. And uh, God, I love you. You did the technicals really well. Can uh, can you hear me back there? Okay. All right. Perfect. All right. here. All right, well, uh, thank you very much for attending and for having a, an open mind to listen to a series of ideas that I hope will inspire you or at the very least get you thinking about how a simple change can have long-term benefits, not only to the physical health of our community, but to the psychological health as well. Hopefully, by the end of this talk, you'll gain some insight as to what came first, the chicken or the egg. Is it possible to get this through at all without a few chicken puns? Probably not. <laughs> but first an overview. Uh, from a bird's eye view, I told you, I'd like to focus on three main points with regards to chickens. I will start with the most important point, that is food resilience and the importance of achieving a level of stability uh, in which global and economic forces do not undermine our access to food. I will follow with how we as taxpayers can have a huge amount of can save a huge amount of money by using chickens to reduce our waste disposal costs. And finally, I will focus on the importance of teaching our children and grandchildren a tiny bit about self-sufficiency. Our goal here is obvious, to help you understand that having urban chickens in Lethbridge is a good idea, and we hope you and we hope you can demonstrate your support by signing the petition, which may be circulating. At which table is the petition right now? Somebody might have it. Oh, it's in the back, back table. Okay. If you feel particularly supportive, you can take a copy of a blank petition home and uh, get, get filled and call the number on the bottom for easy pickup. So let's start with a little bit of history. Uh, we know chickens have been around for a long time, 5,000 years, some say. And yes, there is some science to back up the theory that chickens came from dinosaurs. Paleontologists have visualized the many forms they could have taken. These are probably not what they look like. <laughs> there is doubt that a chicken has ever held an office, uh, political office. But that as well is under debate. And the biggest mystery of all, why did the chicken cross the road? And the answer is, to get to the other side. Thank you, thank you very much. So like everything else today, there is a alternate truth to the question, why did the chicken cross the road? The alternate truth is no one really knows, but the road will have its vengeance. We know there are more chickens than people. They can be found on every continent. If you've traveled outside the US or Canada, you would have seen that chickens are ubiquitous. Here in Canada, backyard chickens are becoming more common and chicken bylaws now exist in over 15 communities in Alberta alone. This is no accident. Whoops. This is no accident because humans figured out a long time ago that chickens are easy to keep and inexpensive. Remember the term chicken feed is synonymous with inexpensive. 
We also know that a chicken's egg provides a substantial amount of protein, about five grams. This is significant if you consider that the average 12-year-old's recommended daily allowance is about 30 grams of protein a day. So with a bit of background and a little bit of history and knowing the most burning questions of the day, let's begin with the uh, three-point presentation. This I undertook at great risk of losing my spot in the pecking order. <laughs> what is food resilience? You can define it in different ways, but I would define it as a community's ability to sustainably grow its own food without interruption from adverse ecological impacts or corporate manipulation or political instability or chaotic weather events or insect infestation or drought or oil shortages or any number of imaginable scenarios. Of course, all possibilities cannot be guarded against because we don't know what all the possibilities are. But if we were to place food resilience on a continuum of 1 to 10, say, where 1 is a complete dependence on outside forces, or 10 whereas a complete independence for food, we should try to move towards the 10. And just so you would do, just as you would get house insurance, it is good to have insurance for your food. Alberta has a relatively high uh, rate of insecurity on food. About 20%, according to this report, in Alberta, households are food insecure. They state that food insecure people are much more likely than others to suffer from chronic physical and mental health problems and have more infectious and non-communicable diseases. Now we have a history of self-reliance. Some of us here can say that our parents or grandparents lived through the Great Depression. It was a struggle for many, for some not very much at all. My mom was nine years old in 1930 and she said in growing up we didn't know there was a depression since we continued doing what we always did. That is, they had a large garden, some animals, and a huge labor force of kids. Being from a Catholic background, I understand. Were it not for that level of self-sufficiency, many of our parents and grandparents would have had a very hard time indeed. Now I ask you, can you say that today's generation is equipped to handle a 1930s-style depression? If they were left to their own devices, and I'm not talking about cell phones, in the wake of, say, an internet breakdown that destroys our financial transactions or simply mass unemployment, where would they obtain their food? This was a scene at the Great Canadian Wholesale not long after the uh, pandemic started. People, we have a fragile system here. As sure as toilet paper and meat could, could be depleted in our stores, we need to pay attention to this. I liken our existing financial, uh, sorry, our existing globalized system to a game of Jenga. You might be familiar with the game. Yeah, skipping, there we go. Uh, the game is, uh, is quite simply this. You have a small tower of wooden blocks. People are pulling out the blocks. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when that whole tower will collapse. So the tower is only stable to a certain point. No one knows when that tower will collapse. Our system is a lot like that. We now live in a time when a tornado could knock out a power system, which in turn shuts off electricity to a major producer of, say, potatoes, which causes the plant to lose production in time to create market price increases for your grocery bills. Increasing complexity in any system 
natural or man-made, increases the chance of breakdown. So of course, when it comes to food security, chickens are not the entire solution. But when it comes to creating a sustainable city, they fill in a part of the puzzle. Anything at all that we can do to promote proper use of chickens is a good move and to deny even that possibility does not bode well for our collective future. And lest we forget what was outlined in the 2010 Integrated Community Sustainability Plan, a forward-looking document written by over 30 residents and council members, wherein it was simply stated on page one, we will continue to work together to ensure that Lethbridge is a leader in environmental stewardship, innovation, and active leadership. So when it comes to becoming a more food secure city, this is one way that we can show leadership. Two, there is presently a movement afoot to have us use green bins to dispose of our kitchen and yard scraps. I agree it's an idea whose time has come. However, the maintenance cost of the program, when it's in full swing, will be in the neighborhood of three and a half million dollars a year. We all understand the benefits of, of separating our organics in order to do the obvious thing, compost. Now the idea of using chickens to help us reduce our waste disposal costs may be to some people rather radical. To me it's innovative. Let's look at two important details about chickens. First, yes, chickens are omnivores. They eat just about everything. Invasive weeds, seeds, slugs, grasshoppers, other insects, mice and small animals, and of course, whatever else they can find. Number two, what is the most important thing that ki backyard chicken owners feed their chickens? Well, yeah, kitchen scraps. And what happens to those scraps? It becomes compost, gold. In fact, four chickens can convert up to 10 pounds of kitchen scraps to compost every week. The simple truth is, it's impossible to have chickens without producing compost. Converting waste to compost is one of the things they do best. And of course, in southern Alberta, we could always use a good soil amendment. So if one family on one city block has four chickens, they alone could reduce the burden of organic waste by around 500 pounds per year. It's not hard to imagine that 1 20th of the food scraps being diverted from our disposal costs can indeed have a long-term impact with regards to city budgets. And number three, self-reliance. If you're over 60, you probably have stories of your youth about your parents or grandparents having chickens. I recall a portion of our garage when I was a kid being used to hatch chicks. They heat lamp on for several weeks. Unfortunately, we didn't continue the practice because our family moved to the other side of the tracks where it was unfashionable to engage in such foul activity. <laughs> Thought I was done with that, didn't you? <laughs> but regardless, this practice certainly was common, especially for those who needed to make ends meet. The youth here need to learn a host of basic skills that we take for granted. So learning to manage chickens will take some training and some education we can go a long way to enabling this process. You may see a lot of flaws in keeping chickens, but one cannot doubt their utility. In conclusion, oops, sorry. That's what happens when you get people putting the slides in the wrong place. In conclusion, creating a self-sufficient food supply is no more than embracing old ideas and putting them in a modern form. 
and we need to get a handle on our waste at every level. And organic waste management is the easiest to do because it doesn't have to involve a lot of money or fuel or heavy equipment. And finally, whether by family or schools or neighborhood associations or nonprofit organizations or whatever means, educating our youth will help them gain practical and usable living skills. I'd just like to wrap this up with one parting thought. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gilles, and thank you, Kelty. It's now time for questions, and due to a couple of technical issues, we would ask that you come up to this microphone to ask your question. Give your name, a short comment, and your question. Not too long on an editorial comment, please. So we're now available for questions. Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. My question to... Kiss the mic. Kiss the mic. Closer? Yeah. My question to either speaker, what, uh, what are we going to do with the chicken when they get old? So that's a great question and is one of the main concerns when um, talking about an urban hen program is what do you do when the chicken once it stops producing eggs? And some chickens produce eggs for a lot of years, upwards of eight years, moderately. Um, some chickens produce only for a very short period of time. So it will depend on the breed of chicken how long you have it for. But end of life care is always a necessity, right? Um, there are a couple of options when thinking about urban hen programs. In almost every urban hen program that I've had a look at, there is a no slaughter rule. So you cannot slaughter your chickens in the city of Lethbridge or in any city. Um, there's a couple of different ways to get rid of a chicken when they've passed away. You can either let them pass naturally. Um, there are some cities and jurisdictions where the urban hen keeping clubs organize a slaughter day out on a local farm. So they'll transport their chickens out of the city and they will do a slaughter day and then everyone can process their, their poultry for meats. Um, a lot of times with producing or egg producing hens though, uh, they're not great meat birds, so there's not a lot of meat there to really do anything with. Um, so there's also an opportunity just to dispose of the hen, uh, as you would a cockatoo or any other domesticated bird. Um, when I went to city council, there was a comment by one of the councillors who still sits on city council um, that it would cost over $1,000 to dispose of a hen in the city of Lethbridge. I asked every vet in town what it would cost to put a hen down and dispose of it, and they said about $45. So I'm not sure where the $1,000 quote came from, but someone is overpaying for their hen disposal. So, yeah, thanks. Next question, please. <clears throat> 
uh, Terry Shillington. Um, was it Kelty who mentioned that a number of communities in Alberta already have this kind of bylaw? Yeah. It was in the teens, your figure. Could we hear some of the locations or towns or cities where, where this bylaw exists? Yes. I didn't bring my list with me, but off the top of my head, um, Grand Prairie, Edmonton, Airdrie, Okotoks, Calgary, Nanton, Fort McLeod now has one, which is great. Nanton just passed theirs in the last couple of months. Um, Red Deer obviously has one of the best programs uh, in the province. Be basically, every jurisdiction except Lethbridge and Medicine Hat has an urban hen program at this point, and Medicine Hat is investigating one already. So they're putting one into practice within the next year. So everywhere except Lethbridge. <laughs> is basically what it boils down to. Um, obviously, some very small uh, urban centers may not have them, but they're not on the list. Toronto also has an urban hen program, so does Vancouver. Uh, Kelowna is in the process of passing one as well. So this is a movement that is becoming more and more regular as we realize that there was no need to take urban or hens and egg production out of urban environments in the first place. We just did it because we thought that that's what was correct to do. And because we had the rise of grocery stores in the 1960s and 70s where we could get our food from outside the community and bring it in. Only now, as Jill pointed out, are we realizing just how fragile that system is and it's better to be sustain more sustainable within our own parcels of property as well. So many, many jurisdictions have urban hen programs. Oh, tall people. Bev Mundell Atherstone. Um, my grandma kept hens when I was a little kid, and uh, they were fabulous. They would be all over the, uh, the farmyard, and uh, then they would put themselves to bed at night, and they were great. She <clears throat> managed to um, keep the family afloat with her hen money, selling the egg, her egg money, selling the eggs to other farm ladies. Um, so my question, I have two questions actually. The first one, is there some place in Lethbridge that builds the cages for hens that would protect them from coyotes and raccoons? And my second question is, what about keeping ducks? Our daughter in Germany keeps ducks and those eggs are a lot larger. So what about ducks? Do you want to Uh, yeah, thanks Bev. As far as the building of the chicken coop goes, that's not too hard to do. Uh, basic carpentry skills will take care of it. I know PV Mart sells chicken coops and uh, yeah, there, I have one. I built one myself and it wasn't too hard to do. As far as ducks go, people have mentioned ducks. Uh, myself, as far as the legislation goes, I wouldn't want to push the envelope, but they are, they are uh, useful. I think it's for protecting the chickens as well. Yes. So they do act as a good natural defense against other predators. Yeah. You add anything to that? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Hope that answers your question. Thank you. Yeah. Chickens and then ducks. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One bird at a time. One at a time. Other questions? I was wondering if you have uh, approached the school division 
to uh, <clears throat> because kids kids love chicken, and I was one, wondering if you could uh, make inroads at the school level, whether that would uh, convince some of the <clears throat> our our experts at City Hall that this may be a good idea. Uh, so on the school division, there there is actually a program. Um, there is a member who's been working on this with with me and with Jill for a long time. Her name name is Lori, and she is in, in she's with it. Her property is within the city boundaries, but it's a farm. Like it's it's actually a farm. Um, so she has dispensation from the city to keep livestock on her property because it's on the west side and kind of vaguely over in that area that'll eventually be developed. Um, she has contracts with, uh, for sure, Ecole de the the French school along Sixth Avenue. Um, they have an urban uh, community garden on their property, and she does a, a chicken hatching program with, uh, I think, the grade ones and twos in that school, and the kids are always delighted by it. So they try to get the, the eggs hatched by around Easter, um, and they take them through the process and like have the incubators in the classroom and that kind of thing, and the kids get to see um, these eggs hatch and these chickens come to life. And then, of course, after um, that happens, she has to take them back out to the farm. To do that program, every year, Lori has to get special dispensation from the city because technically she is keeping barnyard animals in the urban center, so it's a lot of paperwork. Um, hopefully, with the expansion of a program like an urban hen keeping program, Ecole La Verandry has an amazing community garden on their property as well, so there is nothing that would prevent them from putting up a chicken coop and having kids from the school tend the chickens. Um, if they wanted to, which would be amazing. And I'd love to see that program in more schools, but right now it's just not practical. Hello, uh, I'm Mary Shillington, and there's been some discussion between some of us at our table about how the different programs are in different places uh, and whether just four chickens is kind of the rule of thumb. Uh, so could you just expand a bit on what the different programs are like? Absolutely. So that's a great question. Every jurisdiction that sets up an urban hen program does have the ability to tailor that program to their community, which is wonderful. Um, for the most part, in what we've seen in Alberta communities, we have seen between four and six chickens, or hens rather, being the maximum. No roosters involved at all. No need to keep a rooster in the city limits because one, they're incredibly irritating. Um, and two, <laughs> sorry, they are. Um, and two, they're not necessary for egg production, which is a fact I had to clarify for some city councillors. Um, <laughs> as I'm sure most of you know, uh, eggs are simply a product of a hen's menstrual cycle. Sorry, dudes, not required for egg production. You're only there, uh, roosters are only necessary if you want to hatch the eggs. Um, that wasn't of common knowledge to council, apparently. Um, 
So it is, chickens are social animals. Keeping one is not a good idea. They do need a flock and a pecking order. Um, so the experts recommend for urban hen keeping that four or six number. Um, some jurisdictions do allow many more. New York doesn't actually have a cap on the amount of hens you're allowed to keep. Um, that's based on a building by building basis. Um, uh, no roosters in New York either, same deal. Um, but the, juris the cities themselves, the jurisdictions, have the ability to tailor these programs using basic data. So it's really easy for us, when I presented to city council, my thought was you could literally just take the Red Deer program, word search Red Deer in the document, replace Red Deer with Lethbridge, and it would translate, because that's how basic it is. Four to six hens, here's your coop requirements, here's your building requirements, here's your inspections, and here's your fees. That's it. It's really, really simple to implement and maintain. Um, and they, Red Deer hasn't had any issues with people having illegal hens and keeping them in, in a bad way. It just doesn't happen because the hen keeping community is quite close knit. Um, these people are interested in sustainability and environmentalism and are usually quite in love with their animals as well. So um, they always want to do the best for them. Um, but that is the recommendation between four and six hens. I wouldn't say more than 10 on any lot size in Lethbridge just because of space. And um, the programs do include a space requirement per hen. Um, and in most programs, not all, but most, the, the hens are required to be inside a coop or a run, um, a run being an outside portion that's been fully fenced, so predators protection. Um, and they're not allowed to free range in your yard. Now there are exceptions to that. You can get like chicken wire and form a tunnel, and then you can have a chicken tunnel. And it's like a chicken run all the way around. And it's great. That, that gives them access to your garden if you want them for pest control. But typically, no free ranging in backyards, even if your yard is fully fenced, is the rule. So again, all of this is available for debate and can be the program can be shifted and molded to exactly what Lethbridge needs. Thanks for the question. Good. Hi, I'm Ian Hurdle. Um, it struck me that maybe out at the landfill, they could have a very large, they could have a very large chicken coop out there for the green carts when they come. <laughs> My question would be, uh, what are the sort of animal diseases that you're worried about besides bird flu, etc.? Because human beings have lived with chickens for a very long period of our evolutionary history, um, there's not that many communicable diseases from hens that can be passed to humans. There are actually more communicable diseases from cats. So we've domesticated cats as an example. Um, the things I would be worried about would be like things like parasites, fleas, ticks, little insects, um, mites, that kind of thing that get into the coop and cause damage to the hens. That being said, there's not a ton of communicable disease from birds to humans um, outside of avian flu, which is obviously very important and needs to be tracked. The other cool thing with the uh, PID, which is a property identification number, which is assigned to any coop in the province or any farm animal, basically, or farm keeping space, farm animal keeping space in the province, um, 
those are accessible by database by researchers so you could be contacted at any time and have your your facility inspected um, and to see if there's the presence of any diseases you can also report um, if you see that you have a problem in your coops say like a mold or mildew or a mite problem you can go in to the government system report it and say hey we have a problem in this area or right now we're experiencing an uptick in bird flu uh, in Lethbridge um, the, the introduction of the PID allows us to track where problems are instead of actually just guessing and hoping to be right. Um, so that's why the information systems connected with a well-orchestrated program are so important, um, just to keep things like diseases under control. That being said, again, there aren't many. Um, and once a bird gets sick, it's, again, really easy to dispose of one. Um, so yeah, you just kind of monitor your flock and keep them healthy as best you can. Um, but in terms of communicable disease, it's kind of a red herring argument in a community like this. So, cool. This will be our last question. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, Leona Jacobs, um, to what extent do you think the lessons from the pandemic with respect to, you know, the supply food chain, et cetera, um, food supply chain, rather, what would, would change the perception if you were to go to council now? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so I actually ran for council last election, and uh, this was on my topic, and I asked all of my um, the, the people running for positions as well, the, the other candidates, what their positions were. Um, so I actually do have solid answers from every single sitting member of council right now. Um, but whether or not they still agree with that assessment, it remains to be seen. I think that if we went to council now with a solid petition, with a solid plan, um, we may see it pass. Uh, but it really depends, again, on city administration. Um, one of the biggest hurdles we came up against when proposing to the city in the first point, place was city administration didn't want to do it. So city administration made these out crazy outlandish claims and agreed, like I mentioned earlier, oh, it costs $1,000 to dispose of a hen. City council or city administration, the presenter, confirmed that to the councillor instead of saying, I don't know. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation at the city administration level, which we would need to work with them through, um, and we would need to get them on board. So we might get a yes from council, but we'll be, we could potentially be fighting city administration all the way to get the program that makes the most sense for the community. Um, but if there's enough support within the community for a program like this, I think they will shift. And I do think that the pandemic has a massive, massive effect on things like this as communities around the world and are looking at becoming more sustainable and more more responsible with our use of land and our, our supply chains. Um, even even post-pandemic, now that we're kind of hopefully coming out of the pandemic, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, 
there's other other global events that are happening. There's droughts and floods. Um, Pakistan's underwater right now. Uh, <laughs> everywhere is on fire, uh, including Jasper at the moment. Um, there's a lot of global events that are going to continue to impact our supply chain. And even though we're in an agrarian center in southern Alberta and we have got a lot of food production in our area, the vast majority of that is grown for export. And there will be like really hard pressures on that export economy to meet global demand. So we have to make sure that our systems are sustainable so we can support the rest of the world as they're going through their agricultural upheavals because it is wild out there right now. So yeah, thanks so much. Knud wants to have a last word. So come on. I just wanted to ask Dio a little bit more about uh, sustainable development in Lethbridge, urban planning and all that kind of stuff. If you have a comment on that, sure. it would be very appropriate, I think. Okay. Thanks, Knud. And uh, yeah, that is one of my favorite topics. Um, before this, early on when this was starting, I was appealing to community uh, neighborhood organizations. And I thought if neighborhood organizations, especially with regards to chickens, could be involved in an initiative like this to bring it down to a neighborhood level would be far more effective. It would probably be a, a, a shot in the arm for those neighborhood associations because it'd be a far greater interest when you can contact someone who is in your neighborhood with regards to chickens to make sure that people approve, to make sure that people could, could participate and uh, connect that with community gardens, for example. Um, we're, we're really at a time when we need to transition our cities in order to be sustainable. Uh, they need to be more pedestrian friendly. Uh, food, you, know, you might have heard of the 100 mile diet, but we should have a 100 uh, foot diet, you know, where the, where the food that we get is within a short walking distance. Uh, I could probably elaborate on that a whole lot more, but uh, just to cut to the chase, I think the involvement of neighborhood associations is probably key to sustainability in any city to keep things local. Thank you very much, uh, Gilles and Kelty. Uh, just another note, Jill also builds geodesic domes, if you're ever interested in learning about those. And I have a confession to make. I kept rabbits in my backyard for several years. No problem, and they're great to, for mowing your lawn and fertilizing <laughs> it. But uh, that's another topic at another time. I don't have, what is next week's topic? Drug courts. Drug courts. All right. So, same place, same time next week. Uh, we invite you all to hear, all, all here. And again, thank you very much to Kelty and Jill, and thank all of you for coming. <laughs> <laughs>